The book of Philippians, chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Paul writes, Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. All of us who are mature should take such a view of things, and if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. For, as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is their shame. Their mind is on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await our Saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank you that this uh, word is indeed the word of the Lord. And we pray that it is uh, uh, your word to us this morning and that it will warm our hearts and encourage us as we seek to follow Christ day by day. Amen. Let me add my welcome. It's great to have you here with us this morning. Welcome especially if you're visiting us here at St. Andrews. It won't have escaped uh, any of us to know that in recent years there's been a shift in how evangelical Christians are perceived, perhaps in reaction to a rise in religious fundamentalism generally. We hardly need reminding of that in relation to Islam this week with the events in Tunisia. But take note too of the rise of fundamentalism in Hinduism, in India, or Buddhism in Myanmar. And of course, we get tarred with the same brush, intolerant, fundamentalist, narrow, bigoted, etc., a bad thing. So whereas perhaps 30 years ago or so, Christians who took their faith seriously were seen as mildly embarrassing at dinner parties, and now sometimes we are firmly disliked. Not so obvious, of course, intolerant uh, intellectual North Oxford, but certainly so in other places. And a glance, a glance at the media shows us that there is often real hostility, uh, not just apathy, but real hostility to committed Christians. So perhaps we're getting nearer to the kind of situation that the early Christians in Philippi would have experienced. Their great apostle and inspiration was in prison in Rome, from where he wrote what is an extraordinarily positive letter 
for someone who's actually in prison for their faith. The Philippians themselves faced marginalization and at times outright persecution for their adherence to the gospel. And not surprisingly, therefore, Paul urges them twice to press on as he is in the Christian way, despite the difficulties. Press on. He says, verse 16, they are to live up to their calling. Chapter 4, verse 1, they are to stand firm in the Lord. These are good words for us, too, today. In matters of creed, we are bombarded by pressure to compromise. Of course, Jesus is a way to God, but the only way? Come on, you can't expect us to believe that. There are many forms of spiritual reality to experience, and surely all are legitimate. We're encouraged to compromise in matters of conduct, of course, as well, not just creed, the sanctity of marriage, the sanctity of life, sexuality. Orthodox Christian thinking is often ridiculed in those areas. Only last week, the Bishop of Buckingham in this diocese has got himself into very deep water by describing the church's position on marriage as lousy. So voices, powerful voices, even inside the church, attack the deeply held convictions that evangelical Christians have. Paul says we are to press on. We're to live up to our calling. We are to stand firm in the face of these things. But how? That's the question. And I think Paul gives us three uh, helpful victory secrets uh, in this passage. And I just want to share those quickly with you. And the first victory secret is this from verse uh, 13. It is forget the past. Forget the past. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on. I don't know what your past is like, but Paul had something of a gruesome past. Not only had he trusted in what he, in this letter, calls the flesh, that is, uh, salvation by works, what he does, not only had he trusted the flesh for salvation, but he had also been a persecutor of the church. The blood of Stephen, the first Christian martyr, was on his hands, and probably many more as well as that. Most people who believe in some kind of God but are not evangelical Christians today, if challenged, will tell you that good people go to heaven, whatever their religion, and even bad people might have a chance too because God is all loving and he would never send anyone to hell. That is the commonly held view of people who believe that there's a God. So they say, of course, that a sincere Hindu or Buddhist has as much chance as you as I on the day of judgment if there is one, which they're not sure about anyway, of course. And of course, they look at us, Christians, committed Christians, and they see our confidence in Christ as a smug self-assurance. And I have to say, sometimes we must put our hands up and say that we do present ourselves dangerously close to being Pharisees, dangerously close to being sort of holier than thou. And Paul has in mind here what he has written in the previous section. If you just look back to verses 7 and 8, let me just read them, which Johnny pointed us to last week, where he says this, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss 
compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may know Christ. He's thinking of his past. He has trusted in his Jewish heritage and in his law-keeping to be saved. But now he entrusts, he entrusts entirely in Jesus for salvation, a righteousness that comes by faith, not by works. So he, for, he chose, he has made a choice to forget his past as a persecutor and his past as a seeker after righteousness as a way of justifying himself. The past, if you like, is a tutor from whom we learn and then we move on. I had a wonderful history tutor when I was an undergraduate at Keeble College. His name was uh, Eric Stone. He was wonderful. He taught me how to analyze and evaluate historical events. He then taught me how to write about those things better. He was very patient with me, not least when cricket interfered with tutorial times. But I do not depend on him. I have moved on, obviously. And that is what Paul says here. Move on. Press on, forgetting the mistakes and misunderstandings of the past, which have to some extent formed you. But press on. If you like, learn the lessons, he's saying, but forget the tutor. The plain teaching of the Bible is that we cannot save ourselves by our own efforts. We cannot save ourselves by our own efforts, and nor are we condemned forever because of our wickedness. So forget what lies behind. First victory secret. Second victory secret, live in the present. Verse 16, only let us live up to what we have already attained. Let us live up to what we have already attained. Live in the present. Now, Paul makes a brave assumption of the Philippians at this point. He makes an assumption of spiritual maturity. Uh, and I choose uh, to make that assumption of myself and you this morning, perhaps boldly in my case. Most of us come here week by week. Many are in small groups. Many have belonged to other churches, either in Oxford or elsewhere. Many of us have been Christians for some time and are therefore mature, mature in our faith in the sense in which Paul uses that here. Now, of course, I know there may be some here who are still seeking God, and there may be some of you who are quite new uh, Christians. So please don't stop listening just because you don't think you're mature, because I'm about to describe your future as you do mature. We are to live up to what we have attained and also recognize that we don't know everything, and indeed we don't need to know everything in order to follow Jesus. It's okay, he says, to think differently about some things. We're all on a journey, and God will make sense of it in the end. So what have we attained? What are we to live up to? What have we attained as mature believers? Just to encourage you and warm your hearts this morning, let me suggest a few things that might shape how you see yourself, uh, and as you see your present, your every day. This is what you have attained, Paul says. You are a precious child of God, and you could not possibly be more loved 
than you are by your heavenly Father. You have been born again in Christ and become a new person indwelt by the Holy Spirit. You are, you are the dwelling place of God. You are his holy temple. He is making you more like Jesus every day. You are totally forgiven because of the shed blood of Christ who took your place on the cross and drew God's just anger with sin away from you and onto Jesus. You have been given a reason to live beyond your own self-satisfaction. You live to bring glory and honor to God in every single thing you do, Monday to Saturday, as well as Sunday. All this, as mature Christians, we have attained as a gift. Not one of those things is an achievement. We have nothing to boast of save God's love for us. We have nothing to be smug about, nor any self-righteousness on which to depend. In a word, we are saved by grace and by grace alone. So Paul urges us to live every moment of every day in the light of these truths, in the light of who we are and what we have attained as Christians. That is our identity. That is our reality. As he was later to write to the Colossians, whatever you do, and he means whatever, do it in the name of the Lord Jesus, because that is who you are. Judy French, uh, the Archdeacon of Berkshire, writing in the door this week, puts it like this. Uh, She says, the present is the only place that we will encounter the one called I am. The present is the only place we will encounter the one called I am. It's a good quote, I think. So that's my second uh, victory secret for you this morning. Live in the present. And my third victory secret is this. Well, not my victory secret, Paul's victory secret, is anticipate the future, verses 20 and 21. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that we will be like his glorious body. Even in Philippi, in the 50s AD, there were those who perverted the plain teaching of the gospel. It is really hard for people to let go of self-sufficiency. It's very hard for people to do that. It is something in us that makes us hang on to the idea of self-sufficiency. I'd rather save myself than be saved by Jesus. And so the doctrine of the cross, the atonement, is often subtly undermined. So that our achievement in being good supplants God's achievement in rescuing us. And this inevitably leads to us drawing attention. Paul uses the word glory to glory on our, to bring glory on ourselves, on human achievement rather than on Christ. We need to live in the present knowing that it is not the be-all and end-all. Every moment here is precious, but we're passing through. Our citizenship, our real home, Paul says, is in heaven. And all that we struggle with here is temporary. And what an important thing that was for the Philippians to remember. Maybe sometimes you get utterly perplexed by the way in which the world is changing. Uh, Things are not as they ought to be. Why are these terrible things happening? 
in Tunisia, wherever it might be, perhaps more personally in your own lives. Why are things, older people sometimes say, why are things so different from when we were young? You could play on the street, you could leave your house unlocked. What's happening in the world? People get puzzled by that. Or are you sometimes frustrated at the aging, as the aging process uh, takes hold and our mortal bodies begin to let us down? Of course, we all know that. We all know that that's true. So what does Paul say to the Philippians who are perplexed by the uh, strangeness and toughness of life sometimes? He says this. He says, a Savior is coming who will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like the glorious resurrected body of Jesus. What a prospect. So be realistic about this life and its inevitable struggles, but anticipate the heavenly future. So there are Paul's victory secrets for the mature believer. This is where we are to put our stake in the ground. This is how we are to press on. This is how we are to stand firm. Forget the past. Do not be haunted by past failures and past beliefs. Leave them behind. Live in the moment. Life is infinitely precious. As a child of God, as a follower of Jesus, we have the potential for fullness of life. Live in the moment and anticipate the future because it's going to be marvelous. Let's pray. We are often bombarded, Lord, by things that say these basic Christian truths are not true, that we are building our hopes uh, on, on pure myth. But we know as your followers that these things are true almost beyond description of truth because they make us and form us. We thank you that because of the cross, which we're going to remember in communion now, we can stand forgiven and clean before you. We thank you because of the Spirit in our lives, we can enjoy life in a way that others can't because we're free. And we thank you that we have this wonderful, wonderful promise of a future based on the resurrection of Jesus. Keep these things in the front of our lives, in the front of our minds, in the front of our experience, I pray, as we press on day by day, in Jesus' name. Amen.